So today is April 6, 2021. We've come together to practice and study the Dhamma to develop our minds. And this is something of great importance, what we've come here together to do. We consider the uh, pleasant and unpleasant feelings that arise in the mind, whether it's a feeling of pleasure or happiness, it arises in the mind, or a feeling of suffering, of pain, this arises in the mind as well. And we can look at the experience of a Brahma deity, a Brahma god. They have a very firm, well-established samadhi, firm collectedness, um, endowed with uh, applied thought, sustained thought, rapture, happiness, and one-pointedness. However, in the beginning of our practice, uh, we may not have samadhi to the point of one-pointedness. So we may ask, well, is this something that's possible? The answer is yes, it is possible. But we have to train our minds first. We can compare it to an athlete, uh, someone who plays a sport. For instance, uh, a runner who does a marathon it can run uh, 50 or even up to 100 kilometers. Someone who's very good at that sport. And they're able to do things that the average person is not capable of uh, because they've trained themselves. So in this training of the mind, this is the same way. In the beginning, it's difficult. We have difficulty bringing our minds to collectedness. And when the mind does become collected, it's just a little bit and just for a short amount of time. However, for those that have never trained their minds, um, they've never experienced such peace, such collectedness, even for this short, small amount of time. And so even at the beginning, the practitioner knows this for themselves. And some individuals have this in their character already, have this capability to realize uh, peace, the peace of a collected mind. We may read the history of the Buddha, the various uh, past lives and stories of the Buddha when he was a bodhisattva. For instance, building um, dhanaparami, the perfection of generosity. There's one particular life when the bodhisattva um, was born and had uh, a wife and two children. And in this life, the Bodhisattva was practicing to perfect the perfection of giving. And an individual came and asked for the, the two children of the Bodhisattva. And hearing this, the two children ran away uh, to a pond uh, because they didn't want to be given away. However, the Bodhisattva their father called them back um, in order to give them away. Because the Bodhisattva needed to uh, give away his children in order to realize the awakened knowledge, to realize Buddhahood in the future. So the Bodhisattva called his children to him in order to give them away as an act of supreme giving for the sake of Buddhahood, for the sake of helping all beings. Because if the Bodhisattva did not perfect giving to this level, 
then his parami would not be complete, would not be full. And so he would not be able to realize Buddhahood. It's the comparable to catching a fish. If one uh, disturbs the water, then the fish doesn't enter the trap. However, if the trap is laid in, in ready and the water is not disturbed, then the fish can enter the trap and one uh, gains the fish. So it's the same way with this uh, bodhinyana, the awakening to Buddhahood. The bodhisattva needed his parami to be full in order to realize this awakening. And he must he needed to sacrifice to this ultimate level. So reading this story, one may feel great rapture and great faith arise, uh, great faith in the Buddha, seeing that the Buddha sacrificed to this degree for the sake of, of helping all beings, even giving up his children. This is the great sacrifice of the Bodhisattva for the sake of awakened insight, the knowledge of Buddhahood. And it was all for the sake of realizing Buddhahood to realize being the supreme uh, being in the cosmos. And we can see that in the last life of the Buddha, when he was born as uh, Siddhartha Gautama, he gave up his wife and his newborn son Rahula in order to go seek uh, that which is liberating that which doesn't die. And we can see that if the Bodhisattva did not build such a high level of parami, if he didn't build parami to such this great degree in past lives, he wouldn't have been able to leave behind his wife and newborn son and the palace. He wouldn't have been able to if he didn't have uh, perfected his parami to the ultimate level already. So we study this and we hear of the great sacrifice of the Bodhisattva, of the Buddha, and it's possible for great rapture to arise. Or we have faith arise when we listen to the Dhamma. We feel a great fullness arise in our hearts. We can also listen to the Dhamma of the enlightened disciples of the Buddha or their stories as well whether they're monastic or lay, male or female, there are many awakened disciples, and we can call them all uh, holy beings. There are stories uh, from the Buddha's time of many, a great many excellent disciples of the Buddha, all with very high levels of parami, while realized awakening. There are many uh, bhikkhunis, many uh, nuns who realized arahantship, many realized uh, stream entry, uh, once returner, non-returner, all four stages of enlightenment, whether they were male monastics, female monastics, uh, male lay people or female lay people, there are many enlightened beings of these four stages at the time of the Buddha. So we study this, we hear these stories, and our hearts can feel very full, filled with happiness and rapture and bliss. We can learn the story of Queen Samawadi, one of the great uh, foremost disciples of the Buddha, 
And studying her story, we can hear of her great loving kindness, how she was foremost in loving kindness of the female lay disciples. And we can feel uh, fullness in our hearts. We can hear how she developed loving kindness to such a great degree that even when she was uh, killed and burned to death, she didn't give rise to anger or vengeance in her heart. Because uh, a vengeful uh, fellow queen uh, trapped her in her palace with her maidservants, and they were trapped in the building, and whatever, however they tried, they were unable to escape the building. So the fire kept uh, burning all around them and approaching them, and so their deaths were inevitable. But even at this time, she didn't give rise to anger. And at this point, she was already a stream enter, a sotapanna. And a stream enter means one who sees the Four Noble Truths. But even for her, being a stream enter, they were still unable to leave the palace. They had no way out. And this is because of an old karma that they had done. So they had the karma to die in this fire. However, their hearts were not heedless. They were well established in heedfulness, did, and she did not give rise to anger, and she knew that this is her karma to die in a fire. So Queen Samodhi contemplated that death was approaching, she was about to die, and as well as all of her retinue about to die in that fire. And uh, Seeing this, Queen Samodhi realized uh, the stage of enlightenment of once returner, Sakadagami, and all of her retinue realized various stages of enlightenment themselves. Because their minds were collected in samadhi, they were established in loving kindness, established in heedfulness. And Queen Samodhi was one who had great respect for heedfulness. Even being destroyed by fire, she did not forget heedfulness, did not give rise to heedlessness, and realized that her death was inevitable at that point. So she was one who respected heedfulness greatly. And her mind did not give rise to any anger towards anyone. Seeing that she must die, she focused her, effort, her energies in training her heart. So hearing this story, we can feel great faith, uh, rapture, and fullness in our hearts. And this is a mental object of, uh, for our mental cultivation. This is a meditation object, this recollection of the Sangha. We can even repeat the mantra, Samawadi Sawaka Sango, or Pra Samawadi Sawaka Sango as our uh, kamatana meditation mantra. This can give rise to a samadhi, to collectedness and peace, and rapture then arises. So we study this uh, story, and this gives rise to great importance and it's very useful in our lives and in our practice because we gain this great rapture and peace of mind, and this is a great goodness, a great merit. At first, samadhi arises just a little bit, 
But the more we practice, then the more the samadhi arises and the samadhi gets stronger more and more. So we keep contemplating and samadhi keeps increasing and we can feel very cool in our minds and hearts. And then this coolness then goes away. But then we meditate more, we persist and practice more. Then more coolness, more feelings of coolness arise in the heart uh, ever more, ever more, as we continue to practice and contemplate and reflect on this story. Then the mind gathers together in a great uh, coolness, feeling incredibly cool in the heart. And this we can call a heaven in our hearts. This uh, happiness and bliss in the heart, feeling at ease, uh, feeling of goodness, of collectedness. And when the mind is collected in this way, then whatever uh, sense object contacts the mind, whether a sight, a sound, a taste, a touch, or a mental object, then we contemplate, we contemplate right there and we see clearly. The mind and the mental object uh, separate. Uh, they're not the same thing, just like oil and water. This is understanding Dhamma practice clearly. Having understood clearly, then one does not doubt any longer. One may have had doubts in the past, and we may have read the text, the scriptures, and this can get rid of the doubts uh, temporarily. Similarly, with listening to Dhamma, this can cure our doubts, but it's temporary all the same. So our minds may feel clear when we're reading the texts or listening to Dhamma or discussing Dhamma, but when we really practice Dhamma, then this is when Dhamma practice truly becomes clear in our hearts and minds. So this is, this is the way to truly understand the Dhamma and to truly become free of doubt. In this way, the mind becomes very cool and at ease. So may you be careful, however, when the mind is very cool and at ease, one may attach to this cool and easeful state and think that the cool mind is Nibbana. So this is called getting lost on the way. This yen, uh, sabai, in Thai, or this coolness and at ease, this is actually samadhi. It's not yet seeing clearly anicca, dukkha, anatta. It's not yet seeing clearly the Dhamma. So we can call this an obstruction of insight or an obstacle to insight. Because... In reality, we're still on the path of practice, but we think we've reached the goal. So what one needs to do at this point is contemplate impermanence, stress, and not self. And if one has not seen clearly impermanence, stress, and not self, then one hasn't yet clearly seen the Dhamma. So when the mind is collected, what one needs to do at that point is to contemplate. In the beginning, this is difficult because the mind is used to proliferating and following after moods and sense impressions all day long. The mind meets with a sense impression or mood and proliferates based on it. This gives rise to stress and suffering.
and one only gets just a little bit of happiness and pleasure living in this way. As soon as the sense object contacts the mind, the defilements, the kilesas, arise right there. And if there's no contact, then there's no kilesas arising. You can see it's like flavors touching the tongue, whether flavors of bitterness, of sweetness, of uh, sourness, and so on. We feel them right at the tongue. So we can see kilesas arise right there with contact, with sense contact. So may you have mindfulness and be careful right there. See that all the inner and outer senses, uh, kilesas arise right when they contact the mind. So may you have mindfulness and wisdom to teach the heart not to cling. Because this clinging arises very quickly. As soon as one contacts a sense impression, then the mind can cling very quickly, give rise to a sense of me and mine, you and yours. This arises very quickly. And therefore, uh, stress and chaos arise very quickly as well. This is the kilesas arising in the heart. And the mind that practices mental cultivation, this is the mind that gives rise to heaven right in the heart. So one may feel in a heavenly state in one's mind during the day. And this, uh, and may you take care of the mind in this state and take care of it well, not to fall into unwholesomeness, into uh, into feelings of heat because this bad karma, this unwholesomeness is something that's very hot. We can call it hell. So we understand that hell is something that exists in our own hearts. One may ask, is hell real? Or is heaven real? Are they real places that one can go, that one can be reborn in? So we say that the human world is a world that is we can be reborn in. And hell, one can be reborn there. Heaven, one can be reborn there. And Nibbana is also real. But Nibbana is not a place where one is born. Because in Nibbana, there is no birth. There is no death. It is uh, beyond birth, beyond death. So we see that heaven is something that's not stable. It's impermanent. It's something that has birth, and having birth, it must have death. And we may have heard that hell is below the surface of the earth, and heaven is in the sky. So we may ask, is, is hell really down below the earth? Is heaven really in the sky? So we can compare it to when we go to sleep. For instance, if we fall asleep and we uh, dream of being tortured, people coming to uh, harm us, destroy us, uh, kill us. We feel terrified and scared and we try to flee and yet we still get harmed, uh, tortured and killed. And this, we feel like, we may feel as if we're falling into the earth because of this stress and suffering. However, later we wake up and we realize it was just a dream. But we can consider if we don't wake up and we stay in that dream, then we keep suffering and we don't actually go anywhere. So we experience hell, but we didn't actually go anywhere. 
Similarly, we may go to sleep and dream of being in a place that's very spacious, very beautiful, incredibly beautiful and uplifting. And we have a crystal mansion. We have all types of pleasure and great happiness and bliss in our hearts. Whatever we wish for, we instantly uh, get the object of our desire. Everything around us is very beautiful and we live with great ease. And then when we open our eyes, it all vanishes. We realize it was just a dream. However, if we don't open our eyes, then we stay in that heavenly state. And this we call heaven. So we can see that hell is experienced in the present. And this is a state of suffering and stress. We can compare it to this time of COVID-19. Before the COVID pandemic, we used to be free, uh, go wherever we wanted and not have to wear a mask and so on. But with the arising of the pandemic, now we feel we must wear a mask, we must sanitize our hands and surfaces, and we can't travel where we wish to. For those individuals that have not trained their minds, have not any experience with meditation, they may feel that this is a very torturous, this is a very painful situation to be in because we want to be free and do what we wish, uh, but we feel that we can't. We feel constrained. We feel it's capable, or people are feeling a great level of stress. This is something that's possible with this situation and a great feeling of agitation and suffering arises in the heart. Some people may even feel that it'd be better to die than to live in such a constrained situation, in such a stressful, painful situation. So this is hell in the present moment. This is uh, unwholesomeness in the present moment. We can compare it to... Uh, we can look at per, a person just living in one small room and we can think of a, a state of hell as like being in such a small room that many individuals are all packed very tightly together, all tightly packed in this very small room. And even if one stands up, then there's no place to lie down because it's so uh, tightly packed with individuals. So this is like hell. There's a feeling of torture. There's no freedom. In this uh, state of heaven, it's a feeling of great freedom, uh, great uh, freshness and joy, uh, happiness and ease. Just like when we sit meditation, our mind feels very cool and at ease and happy. We can feel that where we live, our house, we can feel that it's very heavenly like this. However, if we have a fight or conflict with our family, then we can feel that our house becomes like hell. So we should be careful with our hearts because our hearts can fall into hell or rise into heaven uh, very quickly like this in any given day. And when we chant, do meditation, we feel uh, full and happy and this is heaven. And we think in very positive and meritorious ways. 
So we can think that this merit, we've done a lot of merit already. This is something that we can recollect. Our acts of generosity, our practice of virtue, of sila, and of meditation, mental cultivation. So this bhavana, this mental cultivation, may you do this a lot. You can see that I've been suggesting to chant Itipiso, the praises of the Buddha, 108 times a day, even three rounds of 108 times, or five rounds, or six, or seven, or eight, or up to 10 rounds in a day, or even more. So you can chant this Itipiso chant all the time. Whatever one does, one chants. And this is making a lot of goodness, making a lot of merit. So we want a lot of merit. We want to see Nibbana. We want to be close to the Buddha. So wanting these things, therefore we must practice. We must put effort and do a lot of this uh, chanting, a lot of this practice to bring our minds to peace and stillness because it is the mind that's peaceful and still that's able to see the truth of the way things are, to see impermanence, stress, and selflessness. This is the, these are the mental objects of vipassana practice, of clear seeing. This is seeing the Dhamma. So may you practice this, may you have effort, may you bring your minds to stillness, and then contemplate anicca, dukkha, anatta, for instance, seeing the flowers, seeing them degrade and pass away, seeing that the body is constantly degrading with every single in and out breath. This is the object of mind of vipassana practice. We train our minds to let go when we see clearly. This is realizing the flavor of the Dhamma. Just like the great disciple Venerable Siwali Tara, who saw impermanence clearly, even when he came to ordain and was first having his head shaved, he saw impermanence clearly to the point of realizing stream entry, Sotapanna. He saw clearly that this body is not self. This was because his mind was peaceful and still, and was able to contemplate the hair and pieces of skin. And he understood that these uh, hair and skin, the whole body, was in reality not self, not a me, not a mine. And seeing just this one uh, part, this one piece of the body, seeing clearly that it's not self, he saw clearly that all phenomena, all things, are in reality just a convention that really there's no self there to be found. In this way, his mind realized a great joy, supreme joy, a freedom from clinging. And in this way, his mind realized there's, there's no need for anything anymore. He discarded all the things of this world, let go of any need for all, all the things of the world. And this is seeing and knowing the Dhamma. This is the uh, sila, samadhi, and panya, virtue, collectedness, and wisdom 
uh, coming together in the heart and realizing that this is the mental object of a stream enterer, of a sotapanna. And for one who has entered the stream of Dhamma, they do goodness, do generosity as a part of their uh, natural way of living. They have virtue uh, well established and firm in their hearts. And their minds have joy in the doing of merit, of goodness. And they do uh, meditation as a natural part of their character and undertake the eight precepts at least sometimes. And their minds have the object of impermanence, stress and not self, established in their mind at all times. So seeing a bit of hair, seeing a bit of skin, uh, seeing it clearly as uh, impermanent, stressful and not self. Even one who practices in this way sees a tooth, sees that the tooth degrades, the tooth becomes painful, and sees that the tooth is really not a, not a me, not an I, not a mine. And one sees that even this uh, pain that one experiences, it's really just uh, the nerves firing and the nerve impulses entering the brain. And when the brain receives the impulses, when the mind uh, has the experience of pain, of painful sensation. However, we can see that, for instance, when one goes into surgery, the doctor is able to cut up and operate on one's body with ease, and one does not feel any painful feeling in the mind because the brain is not receiving the nerve impulses and doesn't have any awareness of any pain. So seeing this, we see clearly that these uh, painful sensations are not self. So may you contemplate this. May you see all phenomena as empty by nature. And do this a lot, do this every day. See that the sun rises in the morning and gradually crosses the sky bit by bit and then sets at the end of the day. So these days constantly come and go, come and go in this way. Our life is constantly uh, passing by. So and where is there a self to be found in any of this? We can consider that in a hundred years, a hundred years from now, all the people that are alive today will be dead, will be gone. So may you contemplate this. There'll be not a single person left from all the individuals all the humans on the planet, all, uh, all the many billions, over seven billion people, every single one of them will be dead and gone at that point. So we see that the life of beings is this way. It's unstable and un unsure in this way. And have death as something sure. So given that this is true, why while we are still alive for this short amount of time, why do we have such agitation, such troubles and such chaos? We receive uh, praise and blame, uh, pleasure and pain, uh, disrepute and fame, uh, loss and gain. We experience these eight worldly winds. And we should practice to know these eight worldly winds, to know them, to contemplate them with wisdom. 
to give rise to the Dhamma in our hearts, to care for our hearts well. So one with uh, spiritual virtues developed already, uh, individuals will differ according to their parami that they've built. So we receive uh, unpleasant or painful karma and we receive the results of pleasant karma as well. So may you be firmly established and determined to do uh, wholesome karmas in this life and develop the mind in order to overcome all suffering. So may you contemplate this continuously, contemplate all the time, give rise to peacefulness bit by bit. And when you contemplate in this way, the mind can go from someone of thick defilements to someone with a beautiful mind, someone with a mind established in giving virtue and meditation. And this beautiful mind, um, this Kalyana Chana, can then uh, turn into uh, Arya Chana, a noble being. And the noble being is one who sees all materiality and mentality as impermanent, stressful, and not self. The heart uh, changes bit by bit. The heart changes into nobility bit by bit. And this is up to one's parami. One develops according to one's ability, practices and develops the mind to know clearly, to see that the body is not a me, not a mine. We see that this body is really just... Um, the four elements of earth, air, fire, and water gathered together. We can even just take even just a little piece of the body and just see this is really just a, just a bit of earth, just a bit of water, just a bit of air, just a bit of heat, and see that it's really not a me, not a mine. There's no self there. However, delusion teaches the mind that it is a self, it is a me, it is a mine. So this is why we train our minds to know, give rise to knowing, to see according to the truth that really there's no self there. So one must practice. We have faith already, so we practice to build goodness. We are intent and determined to practice the Dhamma. So may you practice in this way every single day. Uh, be determined develop your mind uh, gradually every day bit by bit to see clearly and we can consider that before we may have been one who gets angry easily or one who has a lot of doubts or one who is very confused or lost very easily or one who has a lot of worries and we can see that through our dhamma practice this uh, anger, this doubt, this delusion, this worry has reduced gradually, bit by bit. And we see that the mind of unwholesomeness is something we don't want, the mind lost in proliferation, the mind that is constantly following after liking and disliking. So we train ourselves to know liking and disliking in time, to keep the mind in the middle to keep the mind and restrain it from following after liking and following after disliking. 
to know wholesomeness, to know unwholesomeness, to train ourselves to do good or refrain from wrong and to purify the mind. And we do this, and this brings us close to Nibbana. So we contemplate the body as not self. We contemplate and we have the knower, the one who knows, teach the mind. In this way, the mind can become separate from the body, separate from phenomena, from sense contact. And when, in, when we practice it in this way, when the mind separates like this, we see that the world of clinging, the world of sense impressions is one shore and the further shore is the shore of emptiness, the shore of freedom. So we can compare it to having a rope that ties our mind to the shore of suffering, to the shore of stress and sense phenomena. When we contemplate anicca, dukkha, anatta, then we're able to cut one of these ropes. And when we cut one of these ropes, the heart feels incredibly at ease, incredibly free, uh, spacious, open and empty, because these ropes are what tie the mind to suffering. So we cut just one of these ropes and the mind uh, realizes uh, a taste of freedom, a great feeling of ease, uh, uh, spaciousness and emptiness. And having done this, at this time is when the, the mind knows that there is a place that is empty. The emptiness is something that can be experienced. That there is a, a shore, there is a further shore of freedom that's uh, empty. And this is a true happiness, a profound happiness. So having seen this uh, temporarily, we have a feeling that we really want to go there. We really want to go to that further shore, and yet we can't go. One leg is in the shore of suffering. One leg is in the shore of emptiness and freedom. And we may ask, why can't we go? Why can't we just go to freedom? We may have read the scriptures and have doubts arise. Why, why have I come back to the shore of suffering? Why have I come back to the world of clinging? to sense phenomena. And we may feel that we really want to go to the other shore, to the shore of freedom and emptiness. We really want to go there a lot because we see that it's truly good, truly a true happiness. But we can't go. And the reason is because our parami is not yet full. Our spiritual virtues are not yet ready. We haven't yet cut all the ropes. We still have more ropes tying the mind to suffering. So this is the reason that the mind comes back to the shore of the world, to the shore of suffering. So the mind has come back to the shore of suffering. So therefore we keep practicing virtue, collectedness, and wisdom. And we keep practicing, and at this point there's no need for anyone to come tell you uh, how to practice or what to do, because you know for yourself what to do already. It's like eating a fruit that's incredibly delicious, incredibly sweet with a fragrant aroma. And we eat just a very small piece of this fruit. However, just having eaten this very small piece, 
we know clearly, we know for ourselves that this is the most delicious fruit uh, that one has ever eaten. And this is something we know for ourselves uh, from experience. So seeing this clearly, we practice sitting meditation, walking meditation, contemplating the body as empty. And we are determined in this and we feel, uh, we experience this emptiness and contemplate it uh, continuously. This is experiencing the flavor of the Dhamma, which gives rise to a fullness, a rapture in the heart to a, a very high degree, to a great degree, when we really experience this emptiness, this flavor of the Dhamma for ourselves. And then the mind uh, goes back to the shore of suffering. And then when the mind is ready, then one can truly enter this emptiness and when this happens, is up to our spiritual virtues, our parami. The mind gathers together and sees clearly and cuts the ropes that ties the mind. One sees clearly into samuti and vimuti, convention and liberation. And this is something that we can achieve in our Dhamma practice. So may you practice this every single day. So I give my anamodana, I rejoice with all the monastics and laity who practice uh, like this. So may you continue to contemplate, continue to practice. One day you'll be able to see this for yourself. So may you be intent in your practice. May you succeed in your meditation. May you have effort. May you have patient endurance. And then you're able to realize in the present moment uh, the truth of the way things are. So may you lay down the causes for this clear seeing in the present moment. May you lay down these wholesome karmic causes for the sake of liberation. And it's you may feel tired, you may feel uh, like you want to retreat sometimes. And never mind, this is normal. Just keep going, just keep practicing. And practicing in this way one day you, you will be able to meet with this emptiness, with this freedom. And you'll be able to cut off the first three fetters of personality view, attachment to rites and rituals, and skeptical doubt. You'll be able to cut them off clearly uh, with this seeing tr clearly into the Dhamma. This is seeing the Buddha in one's heart, seeing Nibbana. So may you all be intent in your practice.